when I think about December, I think about differences. Now, this, for every parent in the room, this has probably never, ever happened to you. So maybe this is just a Behringer thing. Our kids are different. And we have had to sometimes separate those differences. Again, you guys are perfect parents. You've never had an issue with your kids. The siblings have never fought, never argued. They're perfect angels 100% of the time. So I feel like this is Dr. Strange, that great Christian movie. Teach me. All right, help me out. My kids are different. Night is day, completely different. We've got a daughter. We've got a son. They're both adults now. And uh, why God did not just give me two kids that are the exact same as each other, I don't know. Um, which consequently, I have, a, I have hilarious conversations with teenagers and young adults. They're like, you know, I was dating somebody who's different from me, but I need to find someone who's like me. And I laugh. I'm like, you really don't want that whatsoever. Because if you marry the same person and you're with the same person, at some point, one of you is just no longer necessary because it's the same person. You got to have differences. It's the spice of life. And uh, like my wife and I, massive differences. I'm... (laughs) Where were we? We're at Northway Bible College teaching. I think I teach on our relationships. And I can hear after the service, people are talking to us. And some, some girl came up to Anne. She's like, your husband is so different from all the other guys. It's got to be a privilege just to be married to him. And I'm thinking, yep, it, it's a privilege. And, and Anne, Anne literally just says, oh, girl, you have no idea what I deal with. No clue what I deal with. She goes, but he's so in tune with his emotions. She goes, you have no clue what it means to be married to something like that. I'm like, this is not sounding like I think it should sound like. Differences. And my kids, night and day. And Cammie is never a girly girl or a tomboy. She's artsy, and that lives out because she's a professional photographer. And, uh, but always had to be around people. Always has to have everybody's attention. Ethan is a little me. He's mini me. And you just give him Legos as a little guy and you wouldn't hear from him for like three to four hours because he's in his mode. And Cammie can't take people not being in her mode. And so the differences would be her wanting to get Ethan out of his mode into her mode, and then that causes crying, things thrown, uh, catastrophes, and, and things like, you know, your father's going to deal with this, all sorts of stuff like this. And I've warned her for years, warned her for eons. I'm like, listen, someday he's going to be bigger than you. Someday he will be stronger than you. And at some point you have poked the tiger one too many times. And then one day, I'm just, I think I was working on a message. I'm trying to sound really holy right now. And I'm just sitting on the couch working on my laptop, and she is bugging him to do something. And, and I don't know what it was. All I know is I'm looking at my computer, and I look up, and she has gone from standing over him on the couch to now she is face down screaming. His knee is on her back, and he is pinching the, the Vulcan nerve pinch on her, and he's saying in the most calm voice, I told you just to stop. I ask you to stop. I mean, this is the most calm voice imaginable. Just pinch him. Please leave me alone. And just as she's screaming, Dad, do something, Dad. I'm like, nope, I have warned you. For 12 years, 13 years, she gets up. You're, he's your favorite. I'm like, he's not my favorite. He is just taking care of business, 12 years of, of pent-up things. And I said, you got to get over the fact you're now the weakest person in the family. She goes, I'm stronger than mom. I'm like, Ethan and I are like, cage match. Let's do something here. Let's prove it. And Anne's like, don't bring me into all of this mess. Differences. Have you ever had to resolve differences? What we've got in Philippians 4 is Paul having to resolve 
a difference, like a spiritual dad speaking to his spiritual kids. He's trying to resolve something that is just blown apart, that is not exactly what should be happening within the church. And so Paul, what I love is Paul does more than point out issues. He does more than point out problems. You have those people in your life that love to point out problems and have zero solutions whatsoever. You're probably friends with them on Facebook. There are people like that that exist. We've got this problem. Pastor, we want you to change this in the church. I don't like this in the church. What's your solution? I don't know. You're the pastor. Oh, that's one of my favorite comments in the world. But Paul does more than just point out a problem. He brings up an absolute solution. Now, let's let's just read this thing through, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. Verse 1 in chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And he's referring to the previous talk about imitating. And he says, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored by my side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is dealing with an issue of disagreement and brokenness within the church. Did you know you can disagree with people in church? Have you ever disagreed with anybody in church? You're like with you every week, Pastor Dave. Okay, we have disagreements that linger, disagreements that happen, and they can happen in the church, they happen outside the church, and and we we can get in this place where we look at disagreement and automatically think it's a death nail toward relationships or toward unity or toward issues in the church. I mean, if there's any month that facilitates disagreement more than any other month, can we just admit that December is probably the month that facilitates the most disagreement? I mean, we think about all of the holidays that we have throughout the year. I don't know any more holiday where people fight so much or have more disagreements than the month of December. The time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we're flinging Christmas gifts at each other, we're avoiding each other, and we're groaning about having to see one another. I've had people last year in 2020 where many people didn't travel to see family. I remember talking with the individuals that said, how you feel about not traveling? They're like, I feel liberated. Best Christmas ever. I don't have to see certain people. I don't have to see certain family. And now this year you're like, I've got to see them now. We've got to get this thing back together. And so already we can have a bit of a divisive month, but we're in a divisive season. Our nation is divided. If you don't know that, then you don't have electricity and you're not watching any news or you're off social media completely, which means you're healthier than the rest of us. Uh, It's a divisive nation and we have allowed that divisiveness to get inside the church. And so Paul begins to address the issues. Paul dealt constantly, as we said before, I think it was three weeks ago, he dealt with the issue of unity more than any other topic. 
There's no other topic Paul dealt with more than the issue of unity. That's why he writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3 that we ought to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I mean, look at that. You have to be eager. Some of you are not eager to maintain unity. You're eager to get away from that person. But Paul would challenge you. I believe the Spirit of God would challenge you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's easy to run from issues. It's easy to ignore issues. It's easy to just unfriend people. Have you, have you ever unfriended somebody? Some of y'all need to learn. It's okay. Jesus is not going to be mad at you. Somebody might be. You, it's okay to unfriend people. It's okay to block people. I just meant, for some of you, I just liberated you in the name of Jesus right there. Pastor, do you block people? You better believe it. Some of you are crazy. Gotta block you. It's true. But when it comes to this idea of being eager to maintain the unity, we have to have that eagerness and that drive that does more than just recognize disagreement. We've got to be eager to do something out of it. And what I love is Paul decides to do more than point it out. He says, I'm going to show you how to deal with this. And he lays out a way to cultivate cultivate peace and to develop unity. So look at this. Verse 1 through 2. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, let me stop right here. Paul is writing a what? A letter. And he's writing a letter to the church. And so this church would have received this letter. They would have gathered together like we do on a Sunday, and they would have read this letter out loud. So imagine on a Sunday morning, Pastor Dave gets up to give his sermon for everybody to hear online and in person. Online for the whole world to attend to. And he points you and your used-to-be friend that sit across from each other and decide to say, listen, you and you right there, you're having issues. It's time to get over those issues. Can you imagine being called out in church? Some of you wish I would do that every single week. You're like, Pastor, it would fix everything. No, it would empty everything. It would be great social media, by the way. I would be world famous. The pastor who just calls people out left and right. Now, you have to understand something about the Pauline epistles. So we're talking about, like, even Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, even First and Second Corinthians, that many of these things, Paul is being descriptive of things and not necessarily being prescriptive. Do you know the difference? One, Paul, it's describing a situation that Paul is dealing with, not being prescriptive to say uh, that Jeff and Christy, can we get together today and just talk about Jeff and Christy's disagreement they had the other day? Because we just got to get this underhand. And I'm picking on them a little bit because I love them tons and they're not having issues. They're not having issues, by the way. But this is Paul. Let me talk to you about two people in the church. Their names are Yudia. And Syntyche, if you're pregnant and you're looking for children's names, there's two girls' names right here for you. And he begins to talk about it. Now, why does he talk about it? There's two reasons. There's number one, the news of their disagreement. Now, these are not unsafe people. These are church people. And in fact, church history tells us they helped him start the church in Philippi. They are key members of the church, core members of the church. And they have been in such disagreement that the news of their fight has reached all the way to Rome in the prison where Paul is at. Without social media. No blogs. 
Nobody's like leaving the church and gossiping and saying, text Paul and tell him what's going on here. This is how bad their fight has gone. You're thinking to yourself, man, we've never seen that in a church. I've seen stuff like that in church that maybe should have been called out. I grew up as, this, as a pastor's kid. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff in church. And Paul, the news has gone all the way to Rome. And so not only that, Paul recognizes that, the, that what is happening between, between them is now starting to break up the unity of the church. And he is worried that a single issue is going to have an impact to the greater body. We need to understand, ladies and gentlemen, men and women of God, we have to understand that disagreements are okay. And if we can handle disagreements in a healthy way, it doesn't mean it has to be done in a divisive way. In other words, when we learn to handle disagreement in a healthy way, it doesn't mean disunity in the body of Christ. You can have disagreement and still have unity. Does anybody understand? Does anybody hear what I'm saying? That it's okay. See, at this church, you know what we can agree on? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That nobody comes to the Father but by him. I think we can all agree that the Bible is the inspired scriptures, the inspired word of God, and we will never cease to preach it and to proclaim it and to say this is our foundation. This is fundamental to who we are. We'll never quit proclaiming that Jesus has not just come to this earth and died and he rose again and he gives us life, but he gave us his spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Spirit of God God has given, not to give us a great service, but to give us great believers that will go into this world and make disciples of all people. That's why we'll never cease to send people over across seas. Like we're going to be sending out Kyle, our former missions director. He's now missionary Kyle. And we're going to send him out into Asia to proclaim the gospel. We can all agree that gospel needs to be spread. But in the midst of all of that, there's some things that we may disagree on. Do you recognize the board that hired me at this church? The seven men that were on the board that hired me, four out of the seven were Michigan State fans. One of them was an Ohio State graduate. They needed a new pastor to come on in. And yet I look at that, honestly, the unity that we would have around that table. And I know I'm picking on something so silly. But we need to learn that disagreement does not mean disunity as long as we learn how to handle our disagreement in a godly way. God has called the body of Christ to deal with people differently, to deal with issues differently. We have, I believe the church has almost taken on this cancel culture that we have to just go on the vicious offensive. But what if we learned how to handle people well? I believe that we would see less people leaving the overall, overall church if we would just learn to handle people better. Because I've, I think I can understand and I've come to believe that it's not a change of doctrine that have caused people to leave the church. It's the way we handle ourselves in disagreement. And we've driven people from the body of Christ. And so we've got these two people, founding people here in the body in Philippi. They have differences. And their differences have the potential to pull people away and to disunify the church. And what this divided world needs is not a divided church. This divided world needs a unified church. A divided world doesn't need to come into the, into the church and begin to see everything that they see. They're going to walk in and say, why would we come here? It's the same thing that we see every place else. Why follow that person on social media? They post like everybody else. God has called us to a higher level of living because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. We have to be different. 
And division, or I should say disagreement, has the power, if it's not handled correctly, to not just disrupt the unity, but to disrupt the witness that we have to this world. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 35, that they will know you by your love. People will know you. They'll know who you are. They'll know you're my disciples if you simply love one another. Well, we have to stay, take a stand for what's right. I, I agree. We should stand up for what's right. We should stand up for, for right things in social justice. We should stand up for things that matter. But while we stand up, the manner for which we stand up should always, always, always be done from the vantage point of the love of Jesus Christ. And if you've sacrificed the love of Jesus for your, for your platform... They're going to miss the boat. And people aren't going to taste and see that the Lord is good. It is that thing that separates us. So Paul gives us this little prescription. Y'all like prescriptions? I don't, okay? So he's going to give us a prescription. I don't like taking medicine. But sometimes we need to take a little medicine. Paul gives us the most simple. It seems like elementary description on how these two individuals and how all of us are supposed to deal with disagreement in the body of Christ. Because if you don't know how to deal with it, it will interrupt your joy. It'll interrupt us. So number one, if you're taking notes, I'm going to make it real simple. Write the words, be joyful. How do you deal with disagreement or dealing with people you're disagreeing with? How do you deal with them? Paul just simply says, be joyful. It's like, that's it. Well, there's more. But it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Anybody grow up with that song, Rejoice in the Lord? I was going to have somebody else sing it. I was going to ruin it for all of you guys. I grew up singing that over and over and over. Then we'd have the men sing one stanza and the women sing the other stanza. It would go back and forth. And it was just, that's part of my childhood. But this was one of those verses I memorized as a child to remind me to rejoice. But what Paul is really getting at, he's saying, listen, you have to have a different vantage point when dealing with people that you don't agree with because you're not always going to see eye to eye. But your vantage point can't be the place of disagreement. Your vantage point has to be the place of joy. There needs to be something in your life that gives you a different perspective of that human, that individual, and that situation that lifts you up beyond the disagreement, and that place is joy. David will write it this way in Psalm chapter 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. When we've got a joy in our life, when we've got the joy of God in our life, we begin to see that the win is not winning an argument. The win is not dominating a person. The win is not helping the person that disagreed to just agree. The win is actually loving them the way Jesus would love us and letting the joy of the Lord lift our eyes up above the situation to see them for who they need to be seen as. To love them for who they need to be loved as. Joy elevates our perspective. And what I love is Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. What's the word? Always. Not rejoice in the Lord on the odd days of the month. Or rejoice in the Lord on the even days of the month. Or rejoice in the Lord only on the months that begin with the, with the letter F. It's rejoice in the Lord always. It is this challenge to rejoice in the Lord. You say, well, you don't understand our disagreement. You don't understand the brokenness. I wrote it this way. There's always more joy to be found in God than in the faults of other people. There's always more joy 
to be found in the Lord than in the faults of others. And I've learned that a lot of my joy when it comes to dealing with people who are different than me, a lot of my joy comes from recognizing how much God overlooks my faults and how much grace God has given me, how much the Lord has done in my life, how much the Lord continues to do despite my humanness and my imperfections. And when I get, when I begin to see how much God has poured out in my life, it immediately begins to increase my joy. And it doesn't just increase my joy. All of a sudden, from that joy, grace begins to pour out. Mercy begins to pour out. Why? Because when we get joy in the center of our being, joy possesses the innermost part of us. It lifts our perspectives and we begin to look at life differently. And that's why Paul says, if you want to deal, you two ladies, if you want to deal with this, you need to rejoice in the Lord. Because it's awfully hard to hate somebody when you're rejoicing in the Lord. Try it someday. It's not going to work. And it leads me to number two. Write this down. Don't just be joyful, but be gentle. Now, the ESV uses the word reasonable. In fact, it says the reasonableness. Now, if, you, if you're actually looking at this digitally in the ESV, the English Standard Version, you'll see that there's a little footnote uh, letter that you can click on because, and it will say the words gentle. That word in the Greek language, it means reasonable or gentle. So in other words, Paul is saying, listen, your response isn't just full of joy, but your response has to be gentle. If you want a simple definition for the word gentle, the word gentle is strength under control. It's strength under control. And when I think of that, I think of strength not under control. I was second grade, Mrs. Featherson's class. A friend of mine brought these eggs and his bird at home laid eggs and he wanted to bring them in for show and tell. And I'm like, really, show me. And he opened it up and I just stuck my finger and I broke one of the eggs. And he looks at me and the teacher looks at me and tried to make up an excuse. And then at the same time, I'm like, I can never touch anything ever again. I break everything. I, I don't know why I remember that all these years. But when it comes to how we handle people, we have to be gentle. Strength under control doesn't mean you're a wimp. Strength under control doesn't mean you're passive. Strength under control, that's fruit of the Spirit. Because how you handle disagreement is more important than how you, res how you resolve disagreement. I've had people say, well, I want resolution. I've, I've learned that most people that want resolution, they want to win. And just because you have resolved something doesn't mean you've handled it correctly. And just because you've solved something doesn't mean something was done right. And how we handle things is much more important than actually necessarily getting them handled. I teach that in marriage all the time. I'm like, you can win the argument, but how you won the argument can dictate whether or not the marriage is going to be healthy. Or just because you think you got something solved in your brain doesn't mean it was actually solved in their brain. So we have to learn how to handle people. And the Paul says you've got to be gentle. In fact, Proverbs chapter 25 verse 15 says, a gentle tongue can break the bone. Disagreements. Now you're talking, Pastor Dave. We could break bones. You missed the whole rest of the passage. A gentle word. Your gentleness. Paul would even describe it this way, that when you show kindness, it's like putting heaping coals on somebody else's head. That there's something about the kindness and gentleness that can diffuse conflict. It can melt the ice in the relationship. And it's not just the only reason that we do that. Verse 5 says this. Let your gentleness, your reasonableness, be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? Paul is saying, listen, Jesus is coming back. And Paul lived in such a way that said, Jesus is coming back at any minute. You're like, well, well is he? I believe he is. 
And I think that should challenge our life because if we, if we believe that Jesus could come back in any minute, if we believe that Jesus could return, imagine how that would begin to shape our life, to shape, to shape the way that we treated people, to shape the way that we held on to things, shape the way we, that we handled disagreement. And he says, listen, if Jesus, the righteous judge, is coming back one day, then we can trust him to be the judge so you don't have to be the judge. If Jesus, the righteous judge, is coming back to make things right, then you know what? You don't have to live in constant defense. There are things that, I've, that have been happening to me or have happened to me that I'd be, I'll be honest, I've wanted to come to my own defense. I've wanted to repay. Ever wanted to repay back somebody for what they did to you? Anybody else besides Pastor Dave? Thank you for the truthful people. God loves you. And, well, God loves everybody, by the way. But I've been in that place where you just want to repay somebody back and you just want to be in this place where you, you just want to be the hand of the righteous judge. And what we have to do is let the hand of the righteous judge actually be in the hand of the righteous judge and trust in Jesus to be our defense. Trust in Jesus to be our deliverer. Trust in him to, to live things out and to operate in the way that the righteous judge needs to operate. I love that word of, 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 of Paul. He's returning. We don't have to settle the score. He's returning. You don't have to get revenge. He's returning. You don't have to take a, to snap right back at them. He's returning. And it leads us to number three. So he says, be joyful, be gentle. And number three, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Verses six through seven. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Pray about everything. Often, often I can get so caught up trying to fix what's at hand, trying to postulate on what's at hand, trying to win to get the upper hand. And my worry and my anxiety wants to get the best of me to get to the place where... I'm worrying about things. I'm formulating scenarios in my brain. I know I'm not the only one where you've had an issue with somebody and immediately you're trying to resolve things in your brain. You're trying to think how they're thinking. Well, what are they thinking about me? And you go through scenarios in your head and all of a sudden that worry begins to kind of grow in your spirit. That anxiety begins to grow. And I don't know about you, worry wears you out. It wears me out. Going through scenarios of what other people may be thinking can wear you out and it steals your joy. And what Paul is saying, instead of obsessing about all how the other person responded or what the other person is doing or about what the other person is thinking, he says, pray. I love what the New Living Translation says. The New Living Translation says, pray about everything, tell God what you need, and thank him for all he has done. I love that. Pray about everything. About some things, pray about everything and tell him what you need and thank him for all, you all he has done. This has been one of the biggest challenges of my adult life because I don't know about you, revenge in my flesh feels right. And if there's anything that God has challenged me to do for years as a very reactionary person is, is to taper my response and learn to speak uh, blessing and prayer over them. Oh, pastor, we, praying for everybody. Absolutely, Jesus says that we're supposed to love our enemies and we're supposed to do what for people who persecute us? Pray. We're called to pray. You know how to handle somebody? Pray over them. In fact, pray blessing over them. I'm telling you what, there is, I've got an issue in my life that I don't know how to ever resolve it. But I'm going to let you in on what God has really challenged me to do. Because every morning, the first person I pray over is I pray over my wife. Then I pray over Josh and Cammie. 
I pray over Ethan and Claire. I pray over my family, and I intercede over. And I remember the Spirit of God challenged me to do something almost a year ago, and I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, listen, that person you're struggling with right now, whatever you pray for your family, I want you to pray that over that individual and their family. And I will tell you what, God and I had a little talk that day. <laughs> and I did not win. Because everything in you, everything in our humanity wants, our, our flesh wants to be so satisfied. But that's where God wants to do, God wants to transform you in your prayer. Did you know that in your prayer life, some of us, we pray because we got, want God to do something elsewhere. But I've learned this, that when I pray, yes, God moves and God works. But when I pray, I've learned that God many times just wants to transform me. Much more than I see him do something on the outside. He wants to do a work in me. And so that's why Paul writes, listen, when you pray, tell God what's going on in your life. Let him know what you, what's happening. Tell him what you need. And when you do that, begin to thank him for who he is. Thank him for what he's done. Thank him for what he's going to do. And something begins to transform in your life. What happens? It says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That word surpass in the Greek means to rank in authority and power. That means that the peace has a greater rank over your chaos. That God's peace has a greater rank over your issue. That no matter what has been churning inside you, if you will pray and you will give it to God and you invite his peace into your life, his peace will blow away what the anxiety did in your body. God wants to give you peace. He wants to rescue you from the anxiety and from the worry. But sometimes it's hard for him to rescue. It's hard for us to allow him to rescue us when we won't let go of it. And when we pray, we release it. And when we release it, we have arms open now to actually receive the peace and then to walk in the peace. Something happens to our disagreements when we decide to become prayerful. And lastly, number four, be thoughtful. So be, be joyful. Be gentle, be prayerful, be thoughtful. Paul says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You've got to circle that word think. Think. The word think in the Greek language is the Greek word logosomai. You're like, what does it have to do with anything? We get the word logarithm. Anybody, any math majors in the house today? My polar opposites, anybody? <laughs> I people like, that's not me. I, yeah, I almost failed math. Almost. I, I was behind in math. I was always terrible at math. C's got degrees. Praise Jesus. Never good at, I got an amen over here. Never good at math. When I got to my senior year, I found out my first day of school, I had all my math credits. I didn't need to take algebra two my senior year. Some of you are like, I took that my freshman year. Stop judging me. <laughs> and I went up and I just said, and I found out I didn't need to take it. And so I brought, brought in my drop slip day two. She goes, you're going to need this for the rest of your life. I'm like, prove it. She goes, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I'm going to be a pastor. And she goes, oh. <laughs> you're going to need it to count the offering. I'm like, that's a lie. <laughs> Who uses Algebra 2 to count the offering? I don't even count the offering. Goodness gracious. Logarithm is, is a, a mathematical um, term. I like to use the term equation or maybe even a filter. A logarithm is this way that you bring a thought together and the way that you would solve a thought or an equation in a way, it's a commonality that brings it all together. And Paul is saying there is, a logar there is a logarithm that you need to use to process your thoughts. 
What's the logarithm? If it's honorable, if it's just, if it's pure, if it's lovely, is it commendable? If it's excellent, if it's worthy of praise, this is the logarithm of your brain. If it doesn't fit in that logarithm, it doesn't fit in that mode, it doesn't fit into that equation. And some of you math majors are going to correct me on all of this after the surface. If it doesn't fit into that mode, it's not worth allowing in your brain. And I, yes, I use that term, allow. Some of us have allowed a resident in our brain that was never meant to be a resident. It's, listen, other thoughts can be visitors. They should not be allowed to be residents. Some thoughts come in that visit. Thoughts are always going to pop in. But some of us, we have turned our brain into an Airbnb and we have rented out space day after day, month after month, year after year. Residents that need to be evicted in the name of Jesus. Paul says it's time to go on the offense for what you're allowing. And the reason why we read so much about this, commentators agree. The differences between these two ladies... Judea and Sentic, it wasn't about their personality. It was a mindset that was consuming them. And what they allowed in their brains was all these mind issues, these thoughts, these patterns, were all of a sudden beginning to divide them, and it was beginning to divide the church. And so Paul says, we don't tolerate it, we evict it. And you want a logarithm, whenever a thought comes in your brain, Turn over to Philippians chapter 4, verse, verse 8, and begin to read it through. Because if what you are thinking, what you're experiencing doesn't fit into there, it's time to evict it and to begin to turn it around and begin to think the way God has actually designed you to think. I love how Paul wraps it up. Paul says, what you have learned and received, and if I have a keyboardist or someone come join me, what you've heard and received, seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I love that. What you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me. If you've got your, your scripture journals, write down, circle the word seen, because that's such an important word. Why? Because the church would have seen this in Paul. Paul disagreed with people. If you never knew that, you need to read the book of Acts. You need to read a story about Paul and John Mark. Paul had a, a, a moment with another minister for which he just said, I can't work with that guy any longer. Have you ever had somebody like that in your life? I just can't work with that person any longer. I've had those people in my life. You've had those people. We are related to some of those people. We all have that in our life. And it got so heated that one of the great ministers of all time, his name is Barnabas. Barnabas, the name means son of encourager. He was known as an encourager. Paul couldn't even get along with an encourager. Paul had a strong personality. I don't know what he would have been on the Enneagram scale, but Paul would have been, maybe, maybe he's a one. Sorry, one's in the house. But Paul had such a strong personality. He couldn't get agree with. And so what they did they do? They agreed, it's cool that we're apart. And it's cool for us to go our own separate ways. Why? Because we're both going after the same thing. And they decided we're going to walk in unity, but it may, it may mean that we're not going to sit next to, next to each other in church any longer. And both Paul and Barnabas went on to do fantastic things. In fact, we read later in one of Paul's letter, letters that Paul commends John Mark. In fact, one translation says, John Mark may be good for something. Sounds like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> I think it's a hilarious compliment. That Dave Berenger can't work with them. Later on, he's good for something. He's tolerable. But Paul is telling the Philippian church, listen, you've seen this in me. 
that when it comes to our differences, that there are ways to deal with them and there are ways that, that not to deal with them. There's the way that seems right to man, the scripture says, but in the end, it is destructive. But Paul says, you've got a different spirit in you. And if we will allow the joy of our salvation to come in and begin to resolve what's in our hearts, and not just that, Paul says in verse 9, if you will put it into practice, you know what that means? That your book of Philippians is not a Glade plug-in that you just set around you hoping it will somehow get in your life automatically through osmosis. And some of you science people are going to tell me I'd use the word osmosis wrong after the service. But Paul says, it's more than just knowing it. Syntic, Udia, the rest of you, if you're willing to put this into practice, guess what's going to happen? The God of peace will be with you. What does that say? That whatever God challenges you to do, he will equip you to live it out. Anything that God calls you to do, he will equip you. Whatever God challenges you to do, he will fill you. Whatever God challenges you to do, he will give you the strength. I don't know if, if I can love that person. I know that feeling. But you know what? Greater is he who lives within us than he who lives within the world. And God will give you the ability to show the gentleness. God will give you the joy. God will help you to be prayerful. God will help you to be thoughtful. He will not abandon you in it. But you've got to be willing to put these things into practice. Some of you this week, as you gear up toward Christmas, you're going to have every opportunity to put this stuff into practice. I promise you. It's coming your way. But the beautiful thing is no matter what you have to put into practice, I love the fact that we get to practice it with the presence of God working in us, working through us, working upon us, working in other people. And not only is he doing it that way, he's doing it the opposite way because God's going to work through people into your life and the God of peace will be with you. We do this reorient our perspective. Are you going to disagree with people? Absolutely. But if we don't know how to handle the practicalness of our lives, it will interrupt our joy. This series has been about joy. And some of us, we want a lot of joy, but we don't want to live it out. And if you want the joy, you've got to be ready to put it into practice. Bow your heads. I'm done yapping today.